This is Cruise Radio. I cruise a lot and I always sail with travel insurance. You should too. Get a free quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Happy to have you here. A review of Carnival Sunrise today out of New York City going over to Bermuda. A quick four-night run. Kevin's going to tell us all about it. Let's see what else we have. Sherry Laskin with Cruise News. If you've ever wondered what's involved in the upgrading process for a Norwegian cruise line, so if you want to upgrade to a higher category stateroom through their Upgrade Advantage program, I outlined that on a video, and that's the new video for the week on the Cruise Radio YouTube channel. Also, our Cruise Radio News Facebook group, we have a 30-day photo challenge going on over there. If you're not a member of the Facebook group, just search Cruise Radio News and come join the conversation. We'd love to have you. All right, Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News. Hey, Sherry. Hi, Doug. Major changes are coming to Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. What are we going to see? Yeah, we just learned this through a report from the Central Bank of the Bahamas that Holland America and Carnival Corp are in the early planning stages for improvements to this little small island, otherwise known as Little San Salvador. So apparently, the entity that is called HAL Properties Limited, HAL, of course, being Holland America Line, has been approved to expand the existing beach facility, and the company also plans to construct a cruise pier, say hallelujah, on Half Moon Key, as well as um, improve the landside facilities. So The project is expected to cost about $80 million. So all we really know for sure is that there's finally going to be a pier and you won't have to take a tender from the ship to reach the island. And even better than that, you won't have to worry about the ship not being able to even launch a tender due to bad weather. As far as what they intend to expand the existing beach facility to, you know, if they're going to put in attractions, it it still remains to be seen because no plans have yet to be announced. I'm kind of torn on this pier. Um, For one, it makes me feel like it's just going to make it more homogenized, I guess, like all the other destinations in the Caribbean or Bahamas. But on the other hand, gosh, I hate tendering. Yeah, it's a pain in the neck. And, And you know what you will lose, I think, is one of those iconic ship photos shoots that you can you know mm-hmm. you're standing on the beach and there's your Holland America ship off in the distance and it just it makes the perfect photo and that may just not you know be around in a few years so the Caribbean's most photographed dog is starting to slow down yeah I mean it's, it's a it's a heartwarming story I guess if you've been to Grand Turk and if you've made the beeline from the ship to a place called Jack's Jack it's a beach bar and grill Um, chances are you have met Topher. Topher is the golden doodle who belongs to the owners of Jack Shack, and that would be John and Janet Seary. Um, John actually goes by the name of Jack, thus the name Jack Shack. But they've been bringing Topher to their beachfront party place for almost a decade now. But recently, Topher has now been showing the signs of old age in the form of arthritis and stiff joints. Um, like I said, he was born in 2009. He's been playing on the beach ever since, and it's really just starting to wear him out. Um, one of the reasons is guests love to throw sand up in the air, and then they take photos when Topher jumps as high as he can to try to grab at the sand. But unfortunately, all that jumping and playing 
is aggravating his joints. So the owners, Jack and Janet, posted on their Facebook page to ask guests to please not encourage Topher to jump and instead be more calm and gentle with him. You know, I guess jumping on the sand, it, you know, it hurts people's legs, right? Yeah. So as a result of this Facebook page, um, there was really an outpouring, I want to call it love or understanding, by Topher's fans. Some posted photos of themselves with Topher. Others suggested uh, like homeopathic remedies for his arthritis. And others just commented about how much they enjoyed their time with Topher. So the bottom line here is next time you visit Grand Turk and head over to Jack Shack, please don't throw sand at Topher just to see how high he can jump. He's getting old, just like the rest of us. Royal Caribbean is going vegan. They are. Let me applaud. (laughs) So Royal, not always vegan, but, you know, it's okay. So Royal Caribbean reports that a vegan menu, not just one or two options as you can always find, but they will now be available in the main dining room, like a full vegan menu. So, you know, there's always been vegan selections upstairs in the Windjammer Buffet and just um, a little side note, uh, when I was aboard Radiance um, last June and July, um, I did try the vegan options up in the Windjammer. They were few, but what they offered was really good. And, you know, vegetarian's a whole lot easier, but, um, you know, it'll be nice to have some vegan options. They're talking about um, a vegan-style cheesecake and, and some other things where, um, you know, probably with soy or some other um, plant they're going to use. Uh, The vegan menu will be offered on all ships, not immediately. It will become available fleet-wide as each ship returns to its home port. Sherry, you live more in this world than I do. Is vegan really that big these days? It's getting there. Um, You know, this plant-based diet movement is really, it's it's becoming much stronger. Um, And it, you know, you can make products that taste like, quote unquote, real food, you know, you can make cheese, nut cheese and, and all, well, you drink, um, what is it? Cashew milk, Cashew right? milk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can make, you can make cheeses from those. Um, you can make onion bread with no, you know, with no butter, no animal products in it. There's, there's a lot you can do. It is not as simple as it sounds, but yeah, it's just getting more, more and more popular. And I think you know, as, as the cruise lines want to keep bringing more millennials on board, um, maybe they are being a little more um, more into sustainable foods and, and vegan and vegetarian than, say, my baby boomer generation. Cruise Industry News released some mind-blowing cruise industry numbers as of this month, August of 2019. Yeah, that's pretty close to the word. I call it mind-boggling, but mind-blowing is just as good. Yeah, and according to the report, there are 124 cruise ships on order through 2027. The total cost to build them, and that's what that would be at today's dollars, and this is an estimate, but it's pretty close, $69,800,000,000 for 124 cruise ships. So the Cruise Industry News article goes on to say, that the average size of each new ship will accommodate 2,200 passengers and the ship's average weight will be somewhere over 90,600 tons. So, you know, that's not taking into effect the mega ships and the smaller ships. That's just an average of all the ships. So who's building the most in the next eight years? Well, I've done a little countdown 
MSC Cruises is the most aggressive with 13 ships on order. Coming in second place is Viking Ocean Cruises with 12 scheduled to be built. If you combine all the Carnival Corporation brands, you'd find there are 21 new builds planned between now and 2027. Next in line is Royal Caribbean. They have 15 ships on order across all of its three brands. And Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings with the brands, of course, Norwegian, Oceana, and Region 7 Seas. They come in fifth with a combined total of 11 new ships. And last but not least, Crystal Cruises, which is owned by Genting Hong Kong Limited, has four ships coming online. So, uh, you know, they're building them. It's, you know, it's the old, if they build them, they will come and they're filling their ships and they're building more. You know, it's interesting to me that all this inventory is coming online over the next few years. And we have got to get more people cruising to get them on these ships because right now the projection is 900,000 people New cruisers will cruise every single year, but bringing all this equipment online, it seems like either A, we're going to run out of places to put these ships, or B, we could have too many ships and not enough people to fill them. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I agree. It's going to be tough, you know, depending, of course, on the economy. But, you know, last time there was a hiccup, people were still cruising. That's when the prices dropped like crazy. Yeah. Great deals. You know, yeah, but it hooked everybody, you know, right? Once you go on a cruise, you don't just go on one cruise. I think that's that's like an unwritten law, unless you're, you know, one of those really seasick people that can't handle it. 124 ships in less than eight years. That's huge. Listener question comes from Glenn. Email your questions to Doug at cruiseradio.net. Glenn asks, what do you think is the best way to get from Miami's airport to a Fort Lauderdale hotel? And can you recommend a hotel? From Miami airport to Fort Lauderdale hotel, you might want to think about taking Uber or Lyft. Uber will run you around $40 for a car that will hold four people. If you if you hail a taxi, you know, get in the queue and get a taxi. That'll be about $65 to the heart of Fort Lauderdale. You can pick up a shared shuttle. That's going to run about $25 per person. So a family of four, it's going to be expensive. So, you know, think about Uber. For your hotel, you know, of course, budget is definitely an issue and should be taken into consideration. And between Doug and I, we've stayed at the Hilton Garden Inn. We've stayed at Spring Hill Suites. And they're down in Dania Beach. And they were pretty affordable. But, you know, it's not right at the port. And if you can spring for a little bit more money, it's, it's really kind of fun to stay near the port. Embassy Suites is always good. They have the free breakfast. They have their uh, manager's complimentary cocktail party at night. And so, I mean, personally, if, if I have the funds for it, I like to stay at a hotel on the 17th Street Causeway. And that, of course, includes Embassy Suites. And there's also the Renaissance. And they sometimes have a good deal if you book it far enough in advance And I like those two properties, not only because the breakfast, but um, there are restaurants within within half a block. A good way to look at it, too, is as far as budget is concerned with the Fort Lauderdale area hotels, pretty much anything east of 95 is going to run you a little bit more than if you're going west of 95. I've stayed a couple of times west of 95 in Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. I actually checked out of a hotel one time because it was kind of sketch in Hollywood. I tend to stay on the east side of 95. The ocean side is a little pricier, but uh, Mm -hmm. that peace of mind is worth it to me. 
your taxi ride to the port, if you stay on this near the 17th Street uh, Causeway, uh, the taxi can scoot into the port from the side entrance. And sometimes you can avoid that traffic tie-up at the main entrance when everyone's exiting off of 595 and you mm-hmm. have 17 <laughs> lanes of traffic you know, funneling into, into five checkpoints if they're even open. So, yeah, if you can afford it. And, and also you, uh, another suggestion, don't stay over the bridge on the other side because that'll cost you more money the next day to take your taxi back to the port just because it's a little further there's more traffic lights, and it tends to be slow in the morning at rush hour. Yeah, and if you cross that bridge as well, you're kind of getting into the few hundred dollar a night range if you're staying like at the Marriott Harbor Beach Club. That's right. And you know what? I, we've both tried this also, Hotel Tonight app. But if budget is an issue and you don't mind a little more for an Uber or a taxi ride, um, tr- you know, you could try Hotel Tonight um, and see if you like it. You may or may not, but that's always an option. Thank you, Sherry. This is Cruise Radio. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you a peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. When is your next cruise? Where are you going? And what are you going to do once you get there? Market-leading specialist CruisingExcursions.com offers savings up to 60% offshore excursions versus cruise line prices. Whether it's private, shared, scenic, historic, or family tours, CruisingExcursions.com has up to 12,000 excursions in over 700 ports worldwide. You can even bundle your excursions for more savings. Make your next vacation affordable and unforgettable by visiting cruisingexcursions.com. Check out our blog, the video page, and interact at cruiseradio.net. So Kevin just returned from a four-night cruise aboard Carnival Sunrise out of Manhattan. He went to Bermuda, and he joins us on the line. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how are you, Doug? Good, man. Excited to talk about Carnival Sunrise. Um, I did one of the first sailings on her when she was down in Norfolk, Virginia. Now she's sailing out of Manhattan. So uh, before we get to the ship itself, we'll take a step back, as we always do. Give us some pre-cruise thoughts of why Carnival Sunrise. I know you're over in Long Island. Did that come into play when it came to booking this cruise? Definitely. Uh, We definitely wanted to cruise from Manhattan because we figured it was just very convenient. It's about an hour away, and... uh, that port is always pretty efficient. We really do like like cruising from there. We have done a couple cruises from there. As far as uh, why we chose the cruise, the four-day option was definitely great. I saw Carnival is offering them actually a lot more often now, and it's usually a Thursday to Monday, so it's a really good long weekend getaway. So that was our idea. As far as um, another idea as to why we booked it, I knew that uh, it was going to be transformed from the Triumph, So I kind of wanted to see how the ship was going to be. 
And um, Carnival's been offering the 4J Bermudas, I'm pretty sure, from New York for a couple of years now, and I've been wanting to do it. So I figured once they put the sunrise in New York, I figured it was a good time to go. Did you book this sailing um, when it was still Triumph before the announcement was made, or did you book it after they announced the conversion? I actually booked it right after they announced the conversion. I did see the cruise on the Triumph, and I had wanted to do the Bermuda, and I was tempted to, but then once I saw that they were going to do the renovation, I figured it would definitely be a cool experience. I, I, I love all of Carnival ships mm-hmm. that I've been on. But I figured I wanted to see how they were going to do the renovation. I, I, I haven't been on the Sunshine, but I've, I've seen how they did that. So I figured that would also, uh, uh, I've heard like the, I've heard the Sunshine was pretty good too. So yeah, I was just curious because I booked a Canada New England cruise back before the announcement was made, and I paid two hundred and sixty nine dollars for it. And then after they right. announced the Sun rise makeover it shot up to 799 dollars. Right. so i kind of got in early right. i'm doing it in september but i booked well, it like if two I had years known, ago i wish i would have booked it when it was the triumph yeah yeah for sure i bet uh yeah everyone wishes the same thing there so you get to the yeah. manhattan cruise terminal with you living on long island do you just like commute in on the train or how does that work for you right so we took the long island railroad in it was about an hour train ride in We had a quick Uber from Penn Station to the Manhattan Cruise Terminal. Uh, It can get a little hectic over there, uh, no matter what time you go, just because New York City gets so busy. But once we got to the pier, it was actually a pretty good boarding process, I would say. Were you the only ship in port that day? We were. Yeah. From uh, curb to pier, how long did it take you to get on board Sunrise? So we all had the 11.30 to 12 o'clock. I want to say that was our boarding time. So we actually got there right around 11.30. So we had a pretty good experience. We were on the ship from curb to pier, I would say, it was about 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Once you board Carnival Sunrise, what were your first impressions walking into that atrium? So I was actually, I was impressed. I wanted to see the difference between, I hadn't been on the Triumph, but I wanted, I was on some other uh, ships similar, like the Glory and stuff. I wanted to see how, if I was able to tell that it was, uh, you know, like the older style ship. You're definitely able to tell, but I think they did a very good job with the remodel. They had a, all the, uh, you know, like they had it very up to date. All the interior, I seem, it seemed pretty nice and renovated. Yeah, one thing I noticed um, because I when they when they made this announcement last July that they were converting the ship to Carnival right. Sunrise, um, I booked a cruise on it out of New Orleans, and that was my thing. Like I walked in, and it wasn't like over the top, like this big, huge transformation, but it was toned right. down a little bit from what it was when, on Carnival Triumph because Carnival Triumph had a lot of a ton of purple everywhere, and this was more kind of a a neutral. I guess that's the word. Yeah, a neutral tone when you walk in the atrium there. Um, What kind of stateroom did you book, and what did you think of it? We actually had, between nine people, we actually got four staterooms total. I was in, uh, we were all on deck seven. I was in one of the uh, interior with walkway view windows, so I I believe we were 7205 was our stateroom. And uh, I actually really liked it for the price, I think, paying a little bit more um, on the interior price, it, you can't beat it because it's almost like having an ocean view room. And then I said it was also like having a balcony because I don't know if you're familiar with how those rooms have that walkway view and you can really just go right out on that walkway right there. The thing is like that space up there, no one really ever goes up there. 
Right. So it was nice and quiet. We actually, we said it was like one of the best kept secrets on the ship. So we actually really liked the rooms. I think they did a really good job updating them too from the old style rooms on Carnival with the orange and uh, that type of uh, decor. So I like the new, uh, the new style that they have going on in the rooms too. As far as space goes and the USB plugs and all of that, is that sufficient for you? Right. I mean, we had two people per room, so I would say it was pretty comfortable. Um, one of uh, one, Some of the people in our group had three in the balcony, which was also doable. But uh, I really liked how they put the two USB ports by the beds and stuff like that. Um, definitely the closet space was a little smaller than some other ships, but we were only on for four days, so it really wasn't a big deal for us. Let's talk about food on board Carnival Sunrise. What time dining did you have, and what was your experience like? So we did the anytime dining, which is what we usually do when we're on Carnival. Um, and this sailing, we were seated in the uh, Sunshine Restaurant, which was the aft. And um, we did the thing where you would go get your ticket on Deck 5, and then you would bring it down to the restaurant and get seated. Uh, being that we had nine people, I was pretty surprised. There was really never a wait um, to get into the restaurant, and we would usually go down uh, around like 6.30. As far as the service in the restaurant, I thought it, it was pretty good. We had been on other Carnival ships before, so it was what we expected from, I like their new American table um, menu and stuff like that. Um, service was pretty good. I know some people said that the service was occasionally pretty long, but we actually had a pretty good experience. I think our average dining time was about an hour and a half. In the Lido Deck Marketplace, this place kind of can get a lot of... I know I've been on the ship twice, and I experienced a lot of crowds during, right. the, especially the sea days, in the Lido Deck Marketplace. Curious of your right. thoughts. I definitely noticed that this Lido Marketplace seemed a little bit smaller than some of the other mm-hmm. um, ships of similar class. I don't know why. I don't know maybe if it's the layout of this ship. I don't know if you noticed that the entryway seemed kind of narrow. Totally. It was okay. There was definitely some long lines if you were at prime time for breakfast, lunch. I mean, we're not usually the type to get upset with things like that. But um, I definitely noticed that as far as breakfast, they're trying to push some other places. I know the cruise director would make announcements, both sea days actually, he would make announcements tell, uh, trying to push the sea day brunch that they had going on in the dining room. I was thinking that was probably to kind of get people out of the Lido marketplace to maybe reduce some of the lines there. And then they did actually have some omelet stations going in the back by... Um, the seafood shack, and in the front, I, we did try the uh, Blue Iguana Cantina breakfast, too, one day, so that was pretty good. So when they announced the conversion of this ship, I really geeked out on it, and I placed the deck plans of Triumph and Sunrise on top of each other, and they definitely right. added more tables in the Lido deck area, the marketplace, right. and also the entrance to where Guy's Burger Joint is and Blue Iguana Cantina walking into the Lido, definitely like right. um, 20% smaller there as well, the narrower, I should right. say. So, yeah. Although I think the addition of tables was pretty good because in the back, it, we would go to the back of the ship on Lido out in the outside section, and we never really had a problem back there as far as, far as finding tables. Uh, the lines in the restaurant was... Uh, It was kind of hit or miss, really. Mm -hmm. And that's another place that people don't really um, find on Lido Deck. On the very back there, there's all that seating behind the aft pool that no one really even knows about. Right, yeah. I would say that's another good um, 
a good uh, secret about the ship is those tables are usually open and they have some pretty good views. So, How was Guy's Burger joint in Blue Iguana? We always love Guy's Burgers. Uh, that's always a big hit. Um, Blue Iguana, I actually didn't get to try for lunch, but I, I did try the breakfast burritos. I thought it was pretty good. And then uh, we actually got up to uh, Guy's Pig and Anchor, too. So that was pretty good. We did that right on Embarkation Day because I, I kind of figured that as soon as people started finding out about uh, Pig and Anchor, the lines would get kind of uh, long up there. So I, as soon as we boarded, I wanted to go up and try it. I'm not sure what the barbecue scene is like out there on Long Island, but how would you compare Guy's Smokehouse to Landside Barbecue? I actually thought it was pretty good. I really liked, I thought it was a really nice, quick spot to grab like a pulled pork sandwich and mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely, I would recommend it. I, I thought they're, uh, I like how they have the toppings too, similar to Guy's Burgers where you can add your own barbecue sauce and things like that. Did you go up to uh, Cucina del Capitano for lunch at all for their free pasta bar? I didn't really get the chance to. I wanted to, but uh, one day I had ended up at Guy's Burgers and Pig and Anchor, and then I, I was like, I, I wish I had room for uh, <laughs> to try Cucina del Capitano, but if it was a longer cruise, I think I would have had gotten the chance to get up there. I guess you could only do so much in four nights, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how was entertainment on this four-night cruise? So I feel like since it was such a uh, a short cruise, everyone on there is almost like they're on, the, on for a long weekend, kind of ready to party a little bit. So uh, the atmosphere was very good. Everyone was, I would say, especially leaving from New York, I feel like there's usually like a little bit of a fun atmosphere. Um, I would say the entertainment was good. We did try... a pretty big variety. We did the comedy shows. Um, we went to a couple of their dance parties. Um, we really liked the Red Frog Pub, actually. They had a great band in there that would actually play every night, and they would get pretty lively with dancing and, and things like that, and we liked to sit on the side of the Red Frog Pub and enjoy that a lot of nights. That's I like how large the Red Frog Pub is on this ship compared to other ships and how it kind of spills definitely. out to the walkway like you know, and yeah, kind of definitely. carries over into the atrium bar. Yeah, I totally agree. The cruise director, did you have the Flying Scotsman? We did. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was uh, on the better side of cruise directors. He was yeah. pretty good. Cool. Very nice. On sea days, how was the ship as far as crowds and congestion? Because, I mean, they did add 115 staterooms during the transformation. So I'm curious of your thoughts trying to navigate when you're at sea. There's definitely the areas uh, of the ship that definitely would get quite overcrowded. And then there's the opposite of the areas that were definitely pretty quiet on sea days that people don't know about. Um, I would say there was definitely a lot of first-time cruisers on the ship for this cruise, too. So Maybe a lot of them didn't know about some of those hidden secrets. Mm -hmm. But um, I think maybe they were trying to make an effort to try to reduce some of those buffet lines at lunch and things like that to kind of like, because the Flying Scotsman cruise director, he would make quite frequent announcements about dining options. And I thought that could have been a result of a lot of people uh, complaining about lines and things like that. But other than that, I would say the flow of the ship during the days at sea, it was pretty good. Um, I would say it would compare to, uh, like, the other carnival ships that we'd been on in that class. What were your thoughts of the smoke situation in and around the casino? So, um, it was 
I, I think it kind of depended on the night, to be honest. Um, there was definitely nights where we were walking through and noticed that the smoke was definitely, you know, like you walk in from the atrium area and it almost hits you like a wall. Mm-hmm. And then there was other times where it was not as bad. So I guess that was another thing that was like, uh, it kind of depends on the on the time and on the cruise. You make your way to Bermuda. Now, this is kind of a different cruise and other itineraries that go to Bermuda because Carnival is really only there for the day, whereas other cruise lines go and either spend a day or two. You're pretty much there from like 8 to 4 on Carnival Sunrise. So how was your experience, and what did you do when you docked in Bermuda? So we had known that the day there was going to be a little short. I mean, 4 o'clock really means that you have to be back on board by 3.30. Mm-hmm. So we tried to wake up pretty early. We got off right around 8.30 in the morning. Uh, we got off pretty quick. We were off by, I would say, 8.45, and we went to the uh, taxi station right by the pier. Um, it was definitely a little hectic to get a taxi. So we were actually docked right next to the Anthem of the Seas, and they were actually also only there for a day, 8 to 4. So... Mm-hmm. We had the same exact time as them, so that was definitely everyone leaving both ships and coming back at the same time was definitely hectic. But um, we ended up getting a taxi to Horseshoe Bay. It was $7 a person, so it wasn't anything too crazy. Once we were there, we we rented one lounge chair, one umbrella, and then the rest of us just did towels on the beach. We had a good time there, though. The beach was pretty nice. If you walk all the way down, you could really avoid the crowds because the front section of the beach was definitely getting a little crowded, but we tried to move all the way down, and it was definitely a little better over there. The one thing I would say, though, is that we were lucky that we left around 1 o'clock to start heading back to the ship, because the lines for the taxis from Horseshoe Bay back to the uh, port was crazy. It, I was We were very lucky that we left when we did, because if we left any later, it, uh, the line was getting pretty long. If I remember correctly, you just kind of walk off the beach and there's like a, a parking lot there and there, it's a continuous flow of taxi cabs going from Horseshoe back to the pier? Right. I think the thing was, was that since we were docked next to the Anthem of the Seas and both ships had to leave at four, it started getting a little hectic. By the way, did you notice the pink sand on the beach there? Uh, we did. It wasn't as prominent as uh, a lot of, as you might think, but if you pick it up and look in your hand, you can see it. Yeah. A lot of that depends on how sunny it is when you're there as well, I noticed. Right, uh, right. We, first... we did get, we got beautiful weather that yeah. day, so we were lucky. Very good. So you get back on the ship and you make your way back to Manhattan. How was your disembarkation when you, once you got back into Midtown? I have to say, we've had a lot of disembarkations that have gone from very well to a mess, and I think this one was one of the best disembarkations that we've ever had. We actually uh, were off, I would say, in about 10 minutes. Wow. And from ship to to the curb in Manhattan where we got an Uber. Uh we we did follow a lot of times we we usually tend to do self-assist checkout. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did for this one. Um we actually we waited for them to call our zone. We had walked down to the atrium where they were disembarking on deck 3. And there was a, just a line wrapped around the lobby, and it really, I have to say, the line moved very quick. We were off, and the customs agents were moving quick, and we were off in about 10 minutes. That was very impressive, I have to say. Looking back on this four-night cruise on Carnival Sunrise, do you have any tips to offer? So I would definitely say 
to try any restaurants that that um, you're interested in on embarkation day because they definitely, as people start to find out about some of the hits like Pig and Anchor and things like that, they would definitely get a little more crowded on the days at sea. That's why on embarkation day, I was like, I'll have to get a, a taste of everything. Another thing that we found was that, I know you mentioned in, a, in another episode, I think, was about the gratuities on Carnival. We um, additionally tip in cash, and we tend to do that. We just find that the services tends to go up a little bit uh, when we do that. So we did that on this sailing, and it actually worked out pretty good for us because a lot of crew tend to remember you that much more. Did you get the cheers package or internet package on this cruise? We did the cheers package for one of the rooms, and then we actually didn't do any internet package. Okay. What was the biggest highlight on this Fortnite Bermuda cruise? I definitely liked our day in Bermuda. I would say that was definitely good. I tend to love the days at sea, but on this cruise, I think our beach day in Bermuda was definitely a highlight. Back to the entertainment for a second. Did you have a chance to attend any of the Flying Scotsman's atrium parties? We did. We had a good time at those. Yeah, a lively bunch, huh? Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, in closing here, final thoughts of Carnival Sunrise. Um, I would definitely sail again on this ship. I would also recommend it. I think if you're going into it knowing that it is an older style and setup of ship, but you, I think as long as you're aware that that is the case, and it's been renovated. Um, I think it's a it's a perfect cruise or a perfect ship for a four night cruise. Awesome, Kevin. Thanks for the review, man. Thank you. Let's see what we've got for you. Cruise Radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida. For partnership opportunities, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear Cruise Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google Play or at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer!